we can cold open with True Detective. Yeah, okay. We talked about it last episode, but uh, you went and caught up and finished the the whole third season. So I did. Uh, where did you kind of land on that? I really liked it. I really did. If you haven't already, you can check out my little write-up on kinetoscope.ca. Mm, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. I actually enjoyed certain aspects of this season more so than season one. I think season one, and I went back and watched a few episodes, was more gripping and more edge of your seat. Because it dealt with a lot of drugs, guns, gangs. Um, You didn't get that in season three. But I do feel like season three's ending was stronger. Because I think one of the weaker parts about season one was the ending. How McConaughey and Woody Harrelson basically end they end up having like this big final boss battle. Yeah. And it's kind of those genre things where like in a crime thriller, the bad guy has to die this like horrific death sort of the death to end all deaths right you don't get that in season three it's kind of open-ended which i really appreciate because as a crime thriller detective series i think some answers or some questions are left on un- are better off left unanswered for a more dramatic effect yeah uh, how does the like the philosophy or the the existential kind of crisis uh side of things work into this season because that was a you know the nihilism of the first season was kind of one of its defining traits yeah so pizzolato definitely moves away from that and i wonder if it's because the studios asked him to um because in this season season three there isn't a lot of talk about philosophy or religion or human morals it's more about characters fighting their own demons and coming to terms with who they are as people. You get a lot of conflict between people, of course, but it's not Matthew McConaughey's nihilism versus Rudy Harrelson's optimism, I guess I should say. But there is that same interplay between the two leads, between Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorff, where Stephen Dorff is sort of the more sensitive character and Mahershala is kind of like the straight ahead, no pris- hold no prisoners, let's get this uh, mystery solved type of detective and the interplay between that is very very well done what did you feel about season one though uh, i was a big fan of season one and uh okay. and it was the the thing that kind of pushed me into into season two and kind of sticking with season two and watching that all the way through even though obviously it's it's a bit of a, a challenging watch yeah um, i'm surprised you made it all the way through because i definitely didn't so i think if you really like season one you'll definitely enjoy season three Depending on what kind of aspects of detective thrillers that you like, um, you could swing in both directions. But I definitely think season three should spawn a season four, although that hasn't been confirmed yet. Excellent. All right. Well, on that note, let's start the show. Hello, hello, welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Extra Buttery Podcast. Today on the show, we've got a review and discussion of the newest Marvel blockbuster, Captain Marvel. It's going to be, it's been dominating the pre-release buzz for a couple of weeks. Uh, there's a lot of different things to bring up with, uh, with regard to this one, so we'll be diving into that. And we'll also touch on a Netflix movie that uh, premiered... Uh, uh, a little over a month ago, from a uh, favorite director of uh, Jason and myself, uh, Stephen Soderbergh, uh, he's taking kind of a, a different tack with this one, a, a different kind of story than he would normally do. 
and we'll also do some previews of some upcoming movies. Uh, South by Southwest is on the go right now, and uh, there are some early screenings of uh, a lot of uh, potential sleeper hits and uh, and other exciting uh, uh, titles uh, for the next couple months that are uh, hitting that festival right now, so we'll uh, take a look into that. But coming to you from Toronto, my name is Robert Snow, and joining me from Vancouver is my co-host, Jason Chen. How's it going? Not bad, not bad. How are you? Uh, good, good. I've... Uh, Got my new like a fancy uh, video editing slash video gaming computer rig all set up. Oh, nice! It's, uh, liquid cooled and uh, purring away here. So that was a uh, that was a big project for uh, the past couple of weeks, just getting that all configured. Did uh, you put it together yourself? I did indeed. One of those uh, smart people. <laughs> uh, with uh, with a lot of help from my brother, actually, we uh, I ordered all the parts and. Uh, uh, they all came in, and uh, the thing is sitting here on the desk as I record this episode, and it's pulsing this very uh, appealing color of uh, gold and orange on the inside. Of all oh, the, cool! The parts all light up and uh, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I have one of those like LED things in my computer too, and it changes color. Yeah, as yeah. you use it, it's pretty cool actually. But now we can game. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we'll have to choose a couple of games and uh, uh, start uh, doing some some co-op stuff because, uh, you know, that's that's half the reason you get these towers these days. Yeah, so if you guys know any games that you think Rob and I should play, yeah, totally. give us a shout-out on Twitter or email. Right now I'm playing the uh, the new Bioware game, Anthem. I was playing a bit of that this afternoon. Uh, that's, got oh. a, that's got a pretty strong, like, multiplayer component to it. So, uh, oh, okay. That, that's a fun one, but there's all kinds of other ones. But uh, let's hop over into some discussion of Captain Marvel. I keep having these memories. Something in my past is the key to all of this. You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. That's a yes or no question. Yes. So this dropped a couple of days ago from the time we're recording this uh, this episode. And it's well. What what did you think of it? Because I I went into it pretty assured of like what it was going to be. You know, Marvel movies are yeah are kind of a certain thing unless they kind of yes. buck buck a trend like something like Thor Ragnarok, for example, or Guardians of the Galaxy. But uh, but what did you think? First of all, I read Rob's review. So if you haven't checked that out, it's it's very nice, really well written. I. I liked it a lot. It's on kinetoscope.ca. This is one of those times where I have to disagree with Rob, though. I think I liked it a lot more than he did. What? Wow. <laughs> okay. I did. Do um, tell. Yeah. So, Rob, you're completely right. This is a very, I would hesitate to say generic, but it's definitely an origin film where it hits all the spots where you have a hero that's introduced flashbacks to a backstory sort of this hero finds herself in this bigger conspiracy bigger battle finds a new purpose and basically comes into her own as a person i think that sums up the plot pretty well don't you think yeah that, that kind of rattles through it yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so the reason i enjoy this more than i expected though is because of how understated it is i was actually very i i like the fact that it didn't have like this big, huge CGI boss battle at the end. I liked how um, it really lets itself breathe. I like the runtime. It's not overly long. I think Brie Larson's performance really is like the connective tissue that holds everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I do find certain problems with the villain, but Ben Mendelsohn and I think Jude Law too were so good. And I think a lot of people sort of criticize the film for some of its exposition in the middle of the film but i kind of appreciate it because 
just coming off from Ant-Man and the Wasp, where he becomes this like 50 foot tall CGI character. And then you have Infinity War, where everyone turns into dust and it's like this big CGI extravaganza. And granted, there are a lot of like light shows in Captain Marvel, but I, I appreciate its restraint. I appreciate how smart, how much credit they give the audience to figure things out. I didn't need like a 10 minute scene of Carol Danvers basically remembering everything she did. It's implied that she gets it right away, that she's somehow connected to Earth's events and her whole story. I don't want to spoil everything, but I thought it was very well done how it really lets the audience sort of figure things out for themselves because by this point, like I think most people are really familiar with the Marvel Universe and how it works. If you were a fan of this franchise at all, it would have been hard to avoid some of the um, the featurettes and the interviews that were that were being posted uh, in the run-up to the movie. So even if you'd never read a single Marvel comic before, you probably know that she's uh, the character isn't uh, some alien warrior from some distant empire or anything. She's she's actually a human who's undergone some sort of change. Yeah. Uh, so that that much of it was uh, was probably out in the open. The opening of the movie was a little bit. I, I appreciated the way they did that and they handled the flashbacks there. Uh-huh. Um, where it got a little bit talky for me was when the the characters all kind of reunite on this uh, farm in Louisiana uh-huh. and they're kind of unspooling all of this back background material that uh, just in the form of like a conversation between a couple of characters. Yes. And for me, that was getting a little bit too talky. I think it would have been better to, you know, especially when they were skipping over uh, details like, oh, you know, that's your dad. And they're looking at a photo of Carol Danvers' dad in, the, uh, in a, like a box of keepsakes or something. And, and they just kind of say, oh, you didn't have a great relationship with him. And I'm like, well, I'd kind of like to see a bit more of that, you know, just about more of that kind of show don't tell yeah. uh, rule uh, where, you know, it would be fun to get a... Uh, a scene with her dad where they're actually like talking back and forth or maybe a couple of scenes with her in the military. We do see flashes of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I, w- I would have preferred that over just, you know, kind of like a, a Rolodex kind of scene. Right. Fair enough. I'll have to disagree with you there. I'm actually glad they didn't delve into too much of a backstory. The one thing I do kind of find awkward, and you probably agree with me on this, is that this whole movie, they they make a big deal about how Brie Larson's character is like this emotional warrior that, that acts before she thinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they did a good job of showing that. I don't think in a lot of scenes she shows a lack of restraint other than like you know like a, a training montage with jude law where he outright says you're an impulsive warrior yeah exactly there's a lot of people telling her to stop using her emotions but not a lot of like but she's like the most grounded character in that film i feel like yeah and we don't ever see her like come close to doing something reprehensible with her powers and and like having to hold herself back and uh, yeah that yeah that would have been a lot better i mean i guess maybe you could make the the argument that um the, the big final scene where she uh, blasts like she literally just like flies through a giant spaceship hovering over uh-huh. earth and like doesn't destroy all the others she kind of just blows up the one and then says hey if you keep messing with me or uh, the rest of you are gonna go too mm-hmm I really like that, actually. It was a great scene, yeah, but... Uh, it shows a lot of restraint. Well, she shows restraint, but she also, like, murders a bunch of people, so... No, I mean, like, the film itself shows a lot of restraint in not oh, right, making right. it, like, a huge, you know, CGI battle, because I don't think it was necessary. Yeah, exactly. And she, like, there's the, the final confrontation between her and uh, Jude Law's character where, uh, you know, she, she kind of, like... 
uh, first of all, they make a point of saying like, oh, she doesn't have to prove herself to him, which is all, which was a nice moment. And then she just kind of like tosses him into space. So you know how Jude Law was starting to go into like a bit of a monologue? Yeah. And, yeah. and she just kind of cuts him off and responds. I expected that to happen, but I think it's a very nice way to like subvert your expectations in like the tiniest way. Yeah, exactly. Because so much of the film is very much an origin story. I, I think if you could criticize Captain Marvel, I would say that it is not a very exciting film. I feel like it's a very quiet superhero film. There's a lot of quiet moments where her and Samuel L. Jackson are just basically bantering back and forth. Those were the scenes that suggested to me that if they do any more uh, Captain Marvel films, which I guess they will because she's supposed to be kind of kicking off the, what is it, phase four of mm-hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she's going to be like the leader of the Avengers, essentially, and she's going to get her own solo films. And uh, yeah, everything about Brie Larson's performance I really liked, and it suggested that future solo movies could get really fun and uh especially if they bring in the kind of banter that she was uh she was having with uh, samuel L. jackson's character yeah it i i'm gonna ask you this question in terms of all the mcu characters where would you rank brie larson's captain marvel i think she's one of the most likable characters in that universe yeah easily yeah um She's just so, she's very self-assured. She's got a, you know, a great sense of humor. But she doesn't overdo it, though. No, it's it, it doesn't get, like, goofy or, or anything like that. It's just, um, uh, she just, she feels very relatable. And I think that's that's probably intentional because, yes. again, knowing that she has to, her character is, in, is kind of intended to be the new leader of the Avengers, she's kind of filling the void that presumably will be vacated by Chris Evans as... Uh, Steve Rogers. Did you ever notice how much of her story kind of resembles Superman in that she kind of crashes into Earth, she has no recollection of who she was, and then her journey is finding more about herself and then basically picking a side that she kind of like her adopted home? Mm, Yeah. And I wonder why, if we can get a pretty good Captain Marvel movie when the character is so similar to Superman in that they have no real weaknesses and they've got these like alien powers and they're this like super moral, super powered person that we can't have a Superman movie that's just as entertaining. I I kept getting like Christopher Reeve Superman vibes when I watched this film. I don't know. Am I weird? No, I don't think so. There's there's a kind of like optimistic cast to the whole movie yeah it's not Zack Snyder <laughs> no it's it's not Zack Snyder and and just everything about you know the the, the color schemes you know the uh, mm. you know there's a big emphasis on like the colors of the American flag and all of that so there's there's a certain amount of patriotism there that you also get in the Superman franchise and plus like the character flies and um, she's basically indestructible yeah and there's plenty of, of scenes of her like kind of like arcing out over the over the planet earth and you know lots of kind of glory shots of of that of that of the kind that you often see in superman movies i kind of also appreciate the sort of tidbits of the wider cinematic universe that pops up so for example ronin the accuser pops up yeah big time yeah i'm a huge fan of lee pace Uh and even though his character is way over the top in guardians of the galaxy yeah um they kind of tear him down a little bit towards the end of that uh, with that little dance-off scene and uh, I just liked seeing him here, even if it was only for a minute or two. Yeah, so it I, I think it's kind of like a nice tease for the wider cinematic universe. And because we've already known so much about cinematic universe, we can kind of piece together certain things. I kind of like that detective part of it. 
because so much of the movie takes place in the 90s basically an entire thing actually yeah and so you kind of fill in the gaps of the marvel history between now and say iron man and the first avengers and so a lot of things start to make more sense now but i for the life of me i can't remember wasn't there like a skull scroll and kree conflict in thor dark world as well no those that was another like race of aliens i think okay so they were like frost giants or something like that dark elves I think. Dark Elves? Okay, okay. Yeah, see, there's so many, like, alien races in Marvel now that I'm just, like, I'm kind of confused about, like, who's who, and and Ben Mendelsohn comes in, and he comes in with this big revelation, I'm like, I need to reorient myself, because all these humanoid aliens seem the same to me. Yeah, and Ben Mendelsohn is great. I mean, uh, he... I actually liked his performance more than, like, even Samuel L. Jackson's, um, which is saying something. By the way, Samuel L. Jackson in that de-aging technology was, like... For once, it was not a distraction. How much did they de-age him? I don't know, but he was definitely de-aged. His hair is real, isn't it? I don't it? know if his hair is real or not, but he's definitely he was definitely de-aged. Okay. And it wasn't distracting. No, I mean, I just... I Well, they're definitely helped by the fact that Samuel L. Jackson looks basically immortal. Like <laughs> the he's, same? He's well, a vampire? <laughs> he's like 71, but he looks like he's 50 in real life, well, right. regardless of fancy digital stuff, so... Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, I really like that part. Does it make you more or less excited for Endgame now? I, it does sort of make me a bit more excited. I mean, the, the concept of a character like Captain Marvel going toe-to-toe with someone like Thanos is... Uh, you know, the, there's got to be some big moments just waiting to uh, to happen between those two. Yeah. Um, so you know, there'll, there'll probably be a lot of like whooping and cheering in the in the uh, the theater. I may not participate, but it would be fun to be there when that happens. Was there whooping and cheering in your theater? There was none in mine. Although I went to a matinee, so no, no, not for this one. But I know that like uh, oftentimes, especially with the Avengers team up movies, when the good guys get one over on the bad guys, a lot of the screenings I go to, uh, the place kind of. Kind of gets a little bit uh, crazy for, <laughs> for a bit. Does does that add to your experience positively? Yeah, I, I would say so. Like, uh, there's something yeah. about you know watching it with a huge group of people and uh, everyone kind of feeling the same energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, other than the fact that you just didn't like some of the exposition, was there any other part that you felt? didn't live up to expectations mind you i came into this you know probably the same as you with expectations generally like you know not high but i i knew what i was getting into yeah i wouldn't say i went in with any particular expectations i mean i i think for me it's just the it feels so much like a standard marvel movie you yeah. know, you've got from my perspective you've got marvel movies that uh maybe i would say like of the more than 20 of them that there are so far like 90% of them are all pretty much the same. They're shot the same way. There's not uh, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, variance in the the way they're written. Um, but then you do have certain movies like the Guardians movies or Thor Ragnarok that I always go back to, or even uh, Ant-Man, um, that, are, that have just enough of like a, an extra dose of comedy mm-hmm. and uh, self-awareness to them. Mm-hmm. That That's where I really uh, go to when I'm like, sorting out my marvel ranking is uh is movies that you know they tune up they they move past just the pure superhero stuff and they kind of they kind of get a bit introspective um you didn't find that it was very or there were any introspective moments in captain marvel or you just didn't think there was enough just not enough yeah they um uh it it felt too much like just a classic origin story to me at least on the first viewing i mean who knows maybe i'll circle back around and watch it a second time and and feel a bit differently um, it's kind of amazing that I, I think for a very t- 
tight and focused movie that this movie had two directors and I think five or six different writers. Right. Yeah. And that can be a bit of a recipe for failure in, in other situations. I know. Right. And so, yeah, so I was plenty surprised that it turned out so smoothly. The I haven't I don't think I've seen the previous work by these directors. They were like indie directors, weren't they before Marvel hired them? Uh, yeah. So this is like their big project, I think. It's uh, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, I think. Right. So they're known for like indie stuff like uh, Half Nelson, which was a... Half Nelson is fantastic. You know, that's a Ryan Gosling movie about a a teacher who's addicted to drugs. And uh, uh, then there's a kind of a tragic comedy with Zach Galifianakis called It's Kind of a Funny Story that that, Uh uh, Anna Bowden made. Uh The fact that they jump from movies like that into a huge multi-million dollar uh, blockbuster is always an interesting shift for a filmmaker. No, nothing against Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, but if if they're coming from a, a perspective of making like pretty straightforward dramas and comedies and then hopping over into Marvel, maybe they just haven't developed their voice enough to uh, to really make a, a really distinctive Marvel movie. Yeah. But that's that's all it is. I mean, the the uh, the other side of the of this whole discussion is of course the fact that um, this is the first Marvel movie featuring a female hero as the uh, in the lead role and for a lot of people that is mm-hmm. that is a really big deal justifiably, you know, the um, there's a lot of uh, women and girls out there who mm-hmm. uh, have been waiting for Marvel to make a movie like this. And I think for them, it doesn't really matter how much of a game game changer this movie is in terms of scripting or plotting or uh, cinematography or any of those technical things. For them, it's just it's super important to to have a movie like this just for representation. It's not the, quite the same as the discussion that we were having around Black Panther because uh, the, the yeah. two communities that we're discussing are have very different struggles. Yeah, for for a huge chunk of the audience, they they really won't mind some of the more generic stuff. I think final verdict is that Captain Marvel's a pretty solid. Film. Oh yeah, it's very solid. Yeah, I, I I don't think you can really go wrong. I think if anything, you should go watch for Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson's performances and Goose the cat. The cat is hilarious. A lot of people are making a lot of fuss about Goose. I don't. I, uh, I sort of understand it because the there's some revelations around Goose that are kind of funny in the in the third act. Yep. Uh, the one thing that that Goose made me think of is actually uh, Roger Ebert's uh, old um, comment, where if a if a character like Goose pops up in a movie and you begin wishing the movie was about that secondary character, then maybe the yeah something went wrong because the stuff that they reveal about Goose is is kind of like whoa whoa so where is this thing been all this time and um, you know how did he get to this point and you know et cetera et cetera. Um, so that's just kind of a a, a funny little distraction. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I'll mention, just a funny a funny little uh, thing that popped into my head uh, when they were about to roll to credits, is Captain Marvel is given this leather jacket to wear when she goes off into space, um, kind of a, yep. a keepsake from her former life on Earth. And I was thinking to myself, how is that leather jacket going to stand up to the vacuum of space? <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, I, I I definitely believe that her, like, formerly Kree outfit um, is uh, with, like, you know, the helmet and the mohawk and everything. Uh, it will give her all kinds of of protection against uh, deep space. But, I mean, that leather jacket's got nothing special about it. It's <laughs> probably going to, like, probably going to, like, uh, shatter into a billion pieces if if we were following the science. But I guess maybe her... Her superpowers keep it safe yeah not to mention it would burn up in the atmosphere <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> but she's probably got like weird superpowers like uh, basically protecting her with all the 
the clothes that she wears and whatnot. Yeah, I'm sure. And and for for all I know, it's been covered ex- exhaustively in the comics. There's already been yeah. some uh, explanation for how that works. The one sort of point I was kind of thinking about, and I was gonna throw this idea was at at you, was that is this the first Marvel film that uses um pop music, popular music exclusively, like for certain scenes? No, well, what do you mean? I mean, the they they definitely do it in like Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's true, eh? Okay, okay. Yeah. So there's that from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I didn't expect, but I think it's a nice touch. I think um, they don't hit you over the head with the '90s nostalgia, which I appreciate. Although no. there are numerous references, it's not front and center, which I like. And here's the problem: I'm such a bad '90s kid. I didn't pick up on <laughs> half of those those references. Oh, I don't really? know. Yeah, like uh, people were talking about how they, you know, the certain songs on the soundtrack just yeah. jumped out of them and like gave them a real nostalgia trip. That went totally over my head, and maybe maybe for that reason, I I didn't feel quite in in sync with the movie because I I was missing some of those uh, those needle drops. Anyway, that's it for Captain Marvel. I think um, High Flying Bird, interesting movie. But we are in a lockout. There are no actual games to watch. You think these fools, these rich white dudes, gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? team's my family i need us to be one big family again football is fun but it don't sell sneakers to move merch and inspire rap lyrics they need your services yeah so uh this is a netflix original uh from steven soderbergh who it's probably fair to say is a, a favorite of both yours and mine and steven soderbergh has been kind of doing a bit of a a comeback as it were into movie directing he uh he took a bit of a hiatus from from movies a few years ago went and made a a mm-hmm. uh, period drama called the nick on cinemax i think it was and but he's come back with um uh, a movie well uh, he made logan lucky there a couple of years ago uh and he's had a bunch of projects in the pipeline in various other states of completion uh, but this one was shot entirely on an iphone and posted on Netflix as an original. And it's not the first time that Soderbergh has directed an entire feature-length movie on an iPhone. He made one with uh, Claire Foy called Unsane. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. But the other detail about High Flying Bird is that it's about a topic that I I don't think Soderbergh has ever really explored before, and that would be like Mm -hmm. a professional athletic world. Because this movie is all about uh, the NBA, uh, the National Basketball Association, uh, in sort of like a, a fictional version of, of real life where there's this massive lockout of the players underway and has been underway for about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it follows a sports agent played by Andre Holland, I believe, uh, who some people might remember f- uh, from uh, one of the segments in uh, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. And he play- Andre Holland plays this agent who's trying to navigate a way through the lockout situation and represent the... Uh, the players that uh, he works for make sure that they don't go hungry essentially because they're not being paid maybe figure out a way to actually end the lockout through very unconventional means you know for a guy like myself who doesn't follow professional sports at all other than it was kind of fun to to watch this movie go in for steven soderbergh but actually learn a little bit about pro sports in the uh on the back side of it so that was kind of cool as a film though what did you think 
I, I liked it. I mean, the, the there's a hesitation there, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> as a film, uh, they kind of they kind of assume that you know quite a bit about pro sports going into it. So I felt myself okay. having to play a little bit of catch up, just trying to stay on top of some of the the terminology and everything. Um, you don't really get lost in it. It's not you know Soderbergh does a pretty good job of of writing the script in such a way that there's definitely more value for people who are super familiar, but people like myself who aren't familiar can still follow along. The cinematography is really interesting. Uh, you kind of see some of the limitations of the iPhone as a filmmaking tool, you know, some of the weird stuff that the camera does in different mm-hmm. lighting situations and the stabilization can be look a little bit wonky at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing, but it does, it does kind of line up with some of the themes of the movie where he's got a lot of characters who are experiencing the lockout purely through social media and the solution to the lockout as it's presented in the in the film without spoiling anything hinges very heavily on smartphones and social media so the fact that the entire movie is shot that way as if you know there was some omniscient narrator carrying an iphone around and capturing all of the events that we see in the movie it kind of makes sense you know there's there's justification there that i appreciated what's the sort of Uh, meaning behind high flying bird is it kind of like an icarus kind of nod where uh, a player i don't know his star shines too brightly and he somehow crashes and burns like we see in a lot of sports movies yeah no i I feel like the title is is, it's one of those movies that brings up the title literally in a piece of dialogue okay Um, but i can't remember what part of it or, or what exactly it references it's not it doesn't seem to be an icarus reference because okay andre holland uh is primarily representing this uh, number one NBA draft pick, this this guy who uh, would have been one of the, the hottest new players in the game if the lockout hadn't have happened. Mm-hmm. His character spends a lot of time trying to work with this player and manage the, the, the this kid's online popularity in such a way that it might force the NBA Players Association and the NBA owners to come to some sort of agreement and end the lockout. Right. Uh, so maybe the maybe the reference in the title is to that kid that, that he's uh, representing. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have these uh, chunks of documentary interviews interspersed throughout the, the movie. Um, oh, interesting. Real life players who uh, are shot in black and white with uh, what appears to be I can't tell if that was iPhone as well or if they used a fancier camera for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are asking these kids, you know, what was it like for you when you were draft picks uh, for the NBA? What kind of lessons did you uh, did you have to pick up in your first days and weeks as part of the team that you were chosen for? And they kind of bracket some of the scenes that are portrayed by the the cast um, with these chunks of of interviews Mm -hmm. To kind of give you some context and and understand the sports world a bit. I see. I see. Um, final rating? I would say uh, four out of five. Oh, okay. So solid film. Solid film. Yeah. If you're, I would say, if you're into sports movies at all, definitely check it out. Okay. And if you're a Soderbergh fan, easy win. You know, I pretty much love everything the guy makes. So uh, with the way you describe this film, it feels like a very much like a sex lies and videotape sort of deal oh yeah 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 i haven't seen sex lies in videotape but um yeah oh, okay okay so yeah so this is where like there's a overarching narrative going on but it's uh spliced with like documentary um footage or quote-unquote documentary footage and 
in different interviews and it's just edited in a way that only Soderbergh could do. Yeah, so he's, uh, the editing here, I mean, he's, uh, I think he does all the shooting and the editing, but he goes with his classic twist of using a pseudonym for the cinematography and for the editing work. <laughs> he, when he's when he's editing his own pictures, he calls himself uh, Mary Ann Bernard or something like that. Why does he do this? Well, I don't know. I, th- I think, I forget if he's ever talked about it in interviews, but it might have something to do with like union rules or something. Oh, could be. That's what I figured it would be. Yeah. Um, because there's, I don't think there's anything preventing you from crediting yourself with everything. You just need to have the right... I guess membership into the right guild. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not entirely sure how that how that side of it works, but okay, um, okay. Uh, but yeah, editing is definitely a um, an important part of High Flying Bird. Right. The way they structure the narrative and the way they kind of insert a little chunk towards the end that uh, kind of rewinds the events a little bit and shows the sort of it's almost like a heist that gets pulled off. A heist? We know, yeah, we know that um, not in the traditional sense, but we know that like Soderbergh is a huge fan of of heist movies. Um, and has made several of, of his own, and he kind of structures the solution to this NBA lockout as a sort of heist where they the the characters have to run a scam or a a play in such a way that they can they can get the achieved result, but through maybe underhanded or manipulative means. Okay. Yeah, and and the editing is a big part of helping you understand exactly what the characters were pulling off and how they had to present what they were doing in one way so that they could get a different result. Right, okay. Anything else you're looking forward to coming up? Oh, yeah, well, we've got um, South by Southwest is on right now. Yes. And a lot of the uh, kind of, not the big blockbuster movies, but um, uh, smaller independent movies and uh, mm-hmm. um, other kind of art house type stuff is yep. uh, getting its first screenings there, getting some uh, early reaction. The Beach Bum just played there. Yeah, so they, the Beach Bum from Harmony Korine, uh, people might know Spring Breakers, which he made a, a few years back with James Franco. This is a movie that uh, puts Matthew McConaughey in some very uh, comfortable uh, territory, uh, <laughs> playing this kind of ne'er-do-well uh, Beach Bum of the title, uh, long hair, kind of... Uh, hippie clothing and it seems to be a story about McConaughey's character just sort of stumbling into some sort of like uh, criminal investigation or something like that yeah if you're familiar with Kareen's work there's not really like a, a sort of like going from a to b sort of story it just kind of meanders and it kind of paints you a picture of what things could be mm. and then and then just kind of leaves you <laughs> right yeah so um the, it seems sounds like the initial reaction to the beach bum is is a little bit mixed. Uh, it's yes. it's not tracking very well on Rotten Tomatoes currently. As always with Kareen's films, like it's I think he it's very divisive. Yeah, and I I don't know the exact uh, reasoning behind some of those early critic reactions, um, but I think maybe before I watch the beach bum, I'll have to go and watch Spring Breakers because I missed it when it was uh, when it came out originally, and uh, mm-hmm. all I ended up seeing were like little clips of some of the more outrageous moments with uh, James Franco's character. Yeah, which make no sense if you watch it on its own, right? Right, exactly. It, it, it looks like just James Franco with cornrows partying it up and doing too much coke. That's all right. it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's also a few big names coming out. Jordan Peele's Us, and Jordan Peele is following up Get Out with that film. Of course, you know, Jordan Peele won an Oscar for his script for Get Out, um, and kind of like, he just went stratospheric, essentially, with uh, his 
his capital in, in Hollywood. Uh, people are throwing projects at him left, right, and center. He's got a remake of uh, The Twilight Zone coming out. Uh, I think he's got another project uh, on as like a YouTube original uh, with a kind of like an anthology format to it. LeVar Burton is involved in that, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Jordan Peele is kind of like on everyone's lips right now. And uh, there was a lot of attention naturally for the next feature-length movie that he was going to write and direct. And uh, with this, he's got a story about a, a family, a husband and wife and two kids. They encounter what appear to be doppelgangers of each member of their family who begin to torture and uh, chase them. And I don't know if they are they supposed to be on vacation when this when this is happening? I, I forget the details of the trailer. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but apparently it's, um, it's like a straight-up horror film. Um, some people were wondering whether... Peel would work in themes about racism because of that had been a, a detail of Get Out, but it sounds like yes. it sounds like he's not he's not doing that with this. He's he's going to tell a different sort of story. Oh yeah, so Lupita Nyong'o's in it. Uh, Elizabeth Moss from uh, Mad Men. Yep. Yahya Abdul Mateen II, uh, who people might have seen in Aquaman. Yes, he was good as Black Manta. <laughs> yeah, uh, and another Marvel alum, uh, Winston Duke, he who was in Black Panther. Yeah, Mbaku. He plays the uh, the husband. Um, and then uh, a handful of other people. Oh, uh, Tim Heidecker from uh, Tim and Eric. Awesome show. The Adult Swim show. Yeah. Uh, I don't typically go for horror horror movies, but I do like to figure out the one, you know, maybe the one to two horror films that are getting the best critical uh, appraisal uh, every year and see those because sometimes the, uh, there is some, you know, if you can put up with a few jump scares and some of the, the creepier moments, uh, there's some really great filmmaking yep. going on. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm with you. I'm not a huge horror movie person, although Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's a horror film. Right. Um, I, I just don't like it when it becomes cheap thrills. That's what I Yeah, like. exactly. Or or when it's just iterating on the same old, like, a spooky kid whose eyes fall out of its head. Or, you know, uh, a, a Korean demon that r- walks along the ceiling. Yeah, I've I just had enough of jump scares and things being bloody. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on from South by Southwest, though, we've got a couple of other things in the, in the immediate pipeline. Uh, DC's new movie Shazam is coming out soon. Yeah, so is this like a big turnaround for DC? I feel like it is. If the trailers are any indication, it could be. The Shazam is naturally a more comedic character because uh, it's a, basically a kid who gets the ability to turn into a, a an adult-sized superhero. I almost feel like the DC Extended Universe kind of tied itself down too much by having to basically fan service all the Batman and Superman fans. Oh, yeah. Um, without So these characters can't sort of grow naturally in the environment that the, the writers and directors have created for them. And so as with Guardians of the Galaxy and Marvel, when you have a, an IP that's not as familiar to people, there are certain things uh, that you can uh, get away with. And you have more flexibility in how you want to present this stuff. I, I think Batman and Superman have always been kind of been introduced and, and portrayed as these sort of brooding characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets really tiring after a while because who wants to go see a movie about a billionaire playboy and a freaking alien who's indestructible feel sorry about themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 going back to Captain Marvel, that was a great thing because at no point does Carol Danvers really beat herself up. There's a montage in the end where it's just like her at like 10 different ages of her, uh, ages of her life getting up after she's fallen. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like a great metaphor for her rise from the ashes, I guess. We don't really get that with Superman, Batman sometimes. And I, I, I feel like that's a real detriment to the DCEU. And so it seems like the, the strategy now with the DCEU is to 
unlike the Marvel universe where everything is connected and, you know, every character has an equal chance of appearing in another character's movie if they're not already appearing in an Avengers movie. But the DC Warner Brothers strategy seems to be they're just going to make a whole lot of movies that are very tangentially connected. Uh, so, you know, there's no guarantee that any right. any of, like, the Justice League are going to pop up in Shazam. There are references, though. There, there will be references because, they you know, they want the the events of the movie to definitely take place in that world. They're also doing stuff like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker spinoff or the um, Margot Robbie Birds of Prey movie. That the oh, that one's going to be bad, isn't it? Well, I mean, we were saying that about the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, and now some people are thinking that that might be awesome. So, oh, <laughs> I'm, Okay, well, count me as a skeptical. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the they're rebooting Suicide Squad 2 with James Gunn. So, Oh, my God. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But, but the point being that you've got a whole lot of, like, very disparate uh disconnected kind of projects happening right now and it's not clear exactly where any of the characters are going to go once those movies come out if they're going to go anywhere at all yeah i prefer to seek even a shotgun style approach like this to the very dour linear attempt to recreate marvel but grittier uh, strategy that uh, that they were going with uh, when Zack Snyder was around. I think people see how successful the MCU is and they want to replicate that with their own cinematic universe without realizing that Marvel sort of had this universe built in. All they had to do was adapt it from the comics. So I look at like the monster universe and you're just like, there's no way this couldn't have just been like a shotgun approach with like different films. And if it was successful, then maybe you get a little team up. You didn't have to set up the entire universe right away because it's very hard to do. I mean, Marvel's been around forever. There could have been any number of times in the early part of the Marvel world where things might have gone sideways if they'd made a really bad movie. Um, but instead they made like, you know, mm -hmm. a, a core number of solid movies uh, maybe not like excellent movies but you know they, they they just built it up over time and it feels like when whenever a studio tries to rush things uh the stuff can go a little bit wonky but what else do we have on the release calendar we've also got avengers endgame naturally i don't necessarily want to to dwell on that too much because that's kind of like a known quantity at this point yeah um, but uh, we'll we'll definitely explore that a little bit more as it gets closer and then we've got tim burton's dumbo that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I would not have pegged Tim Burton for for that particular story. Uh, I mean, the original cartoon is a bit darker and more adult than yes. most Disney animated movies. Um, so maybe Burton is a good fit on from that perspective. But it feels like he's going, he's really amping things up, the darkness and the and the adult uh, oriented stuff with his version of Dumbo. So will it work for Disney? I, I really, it's hard to say. Well, I'm just glad it's not a shot for shot remake. So. I'm glad that Tim Burton is taking on this project. I, I think if any Disney IP needs like a bit of Tim Burton touch, it's maybe this one. Because he, the story about a flying elephant is just weird in itself. <laughs> yeah. So he might be the perfect one for this. Kind of like uh, Charlie, or sorry, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think as a movie, it was really creepy. But there's certain parts that he, he brings in with his own thoughts and ideas that I think worked really well. Yeah, totally. And I mean, these Disney live action recreations or remakes of their, their classic cartoons seem to be making money. People are kind of are liking them, even if they have little quibbles with mm -hmm. the way the classic movie was adapted. You know, there, there were plenty of people, for example, with um, the Beauty and the Beast remake with Emma yep. Watson. They, they appreciated 
the nostalgia trip that they went on with the movie, but just maybe felt that some of the the little additions that the uh, screenwriters made uh, weren't necessary. The one thing that they haven't announced yet in this world of live action remakes is a is a remake of Hercules. Yes, where is that? <laughs> I would pay. I keep telling people I would pay like a hundred and fifty dollars at least to see a live action Hercules, specifically with Danny DeVito. Live action Danny DeVito with CGI goat legs. <laughs> I would pay I, so much did, money for that. Did you did you like the original cartoon? I loved it. Yeah, I, I went, me too. I loved it, but it gets a really bad rap, eh? Yeah, well, it, uh, I went. I did go through a period with it when I was like uh, in university and learning about all the uh, the classic mythology. Yeah, um, where I kind of hated on the movie a bit because I didn't like how it played fast and loose with the myths and yes. kind of made it family friendly. But but that was it had to happen. You know, Disney had to do. They had to sanitize it mm-hmm. because the myths are pretty pretty adult, pretty gory, and. Uh, full of like sexual abuse and things like <laughs> yeah. that the part where zeus and hera get along and i'm just like that's not how that works no yeah <laughs> they're supposed to hate each other so i don't know why why they're why they're kind of twiddling their thumbs on this we, we need the live action hercules we're getting live action mulan we're getting live action Dis- uh, or live action little mermaid i think i mean it's probably coming i just i need it to happen before danny devito dies or something i imagine it's a little hard to do in our current political environment because hercules is about this really macho dude going around saving people using his muscles and not his brain right yeah i think that's a bit of a hard sell although i do find meg who is the female lead in the cartoon a really interesting character and in her own right was a very strong character as well right so but but i just imagine like i mean how many successful hercules films have there been right not many. Recently, yeah, not, not a lot. Many. No. Did you see the Dwayne Johnson one from a few years ago? No, thank God I didn't. Was it good? Nobody, nobody went to see it. It's one of. Yeah, it's probably one exactly. of uh, Dwayne Johnson's like a uh, few box office failures. Un- failures or underperformers. I mean, I don't know how yeah. he he would qualify it. Yeah. Um, he's well cast for the part because he's you know he looks he's well the, cast he, for any part <laughs> he looks the part he's got the muscles he's got the 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 wild man beard but something about the script uh treatment for this just uh, uh basically doomed it from the start you know they were <laughs> they were trying to go with a with a more uh realistic uh interpretation of of the hercules myths where they would do a scene that had like a mythological quality to it like he would be fighting a monster but then they would do a little trick with the camera or with the cgi to kind of reveal that oh no it's it's a far more mundane thing that's actually happening but uh, the myth grew out of a real battle with uh, a non-supernatural explanation uh, right so they kind of stripped away a lot of the um uh, the fantasy that people like about the the myths and uh it, you know took away the what made the hercules special i would say so yeah it probably had a hard time <laughs> getting any word of mouth because of that right i think that about does it for our episode we talked about captain marvel talked about the new soderbergh film high flying bird we previewed some stuff um, I think it's going to, the activity, at least for movies, is going to ramp up. we got festivals coming out. we got big releases coming out over the next month and a half. Yep, we got uh, Netflix's new uh, Triple Frontier. Uh, they're kind of big, big action movie with uh, a director I really like, uh, writers I really like, and uh, a core cast that I really like. So it may still be really, really, like, basic and... Uh, 
non-innovative, but I'm going to watch it anyway. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think it'll be at least good eye candy. Um, and let's not forget, Game of Thrones is starting in about a month, so we'll probably touch oh on... Oh, boy. Yeah, we'll probably touch on that a little bit. Rob and I are both big fans. When Game of Thrones hit a fever pitch, we were both in journalism school. Um, so that was always awesome to come in the next day and start talking about it. Yep. Um, and we'll continue to do that. This is the first season where it goes into uncharted territory because the books haven't been finished yet and I don't think they ever will to be honest <laughs> but until then we will talk to you next time from Vancouver I'm Jason Chen and from Toronto I'm Robert Snow thanks for listening